Blog Talk Radio. Walking on a highway, teaching on a highway, walking on a highway with my baby. Walking on a highway, driving down a highway with my baby. Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. I'm Monica and I'm your host tonight. Today is May 17th, 2011. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a great show tonight. Safe Recovery is a show that's designed to address predatory behavior in 12-step meetings. We discuss new approaches to age-old problems in the rooms, the culture, and the literature, but we have also moved on to discuss and explore alternatives to AA, and we want to support men and women who have written new thought books on recovery and addiction, alternative healing, both spiritual and secular. So tonight we have a really special guest, Stanton Peel, who I would know nothing about, really, if it wasn't for stinking thinking, or maybe I should back up, I wouldn't know about if it wasn't for a 13-stepping in Alcoholics Anonymous and then found myself on the Stinkin' Thinkin' pages and found myself to Stanton Peel. Um, Stanton had began working on Love and Addiction, which was published in 1975. Uh, he started working in the industry, it looks like, in 1970. In these 40 years, he has predicted a remarkable number of addiction trends, um, by now it's clear that the way in which Stanton has reframed addiction for the past four decades, sometimes facing extreme opposition, boy, I know what that's like, uh, has been precedent. Addiction is not a consequence of taking drugs and drinking. Rather, it arises from the way in which these and other compelling activities fit into people's lives and meanings. Um, Stanton is a psychologist and an attorney in New Jersey. He has pioneered ideas and treatment for addiction for 30 years, including harm reduction, relationship, and other non-substance addictions. Uh, He's used motivational and solution-focused therapies. So these are some of the books he's written, Love and Addiction, The Meaning of Addiction, Diseasing America, The Truth About Addiction and Recovery, and Seven Tools to Beat addiction. And then the one that's not listed in there, but the one that I'm, I've been reading is Addiction Proof Your Child, which I think is just fabulous. So I think we have, looks like Stanton here. I'm just going to say for this is Stanton. Hello? Hi, Stanton, is that you? Let's see if I'm not doing it right. Let me go back here. Um, me? You're on the air? That's me. Uh, if hey, I'm on the air, you you're I'm on the air. This. So I, push, I push the screen instead of the mic, thinking I could see if it was you. But it is you. Welcome to the show, Stanton. That was the best introduction I ever had. I couldn't have written it better <laughs> really? myself. I, fabulous. And I don't, if you don't mind my saying so, you're a great singer, too. That uh, musical introduction was fabulous. You you oh, really combined you. it all. Yeah, um, thank you. I put a few things on there. I tried to get a different song, but you can hear me on iTunes, and you know, I have an, a new album that I'll get out maybe in a few months. 
Wow, that's great. Um, let me ask you a few questions. Uh, you, what do you think about women for sobriety? Well, I, I've got the pamphlet. I called, and I haven't attended a meeting, but I love the literature. Um, so I was hoping to really get. Why do you ask? Well, I also appear weekly at Thursday night with uh, on eight Eastern with with Ken and and harm reduction Ham's harm reduction radio. He had on I don't know if she heads women for sobriety or what, um, and it, I think I it, she very much contrasted in my mind mm-hmm. to what I think you've said. Um, I mean, first of all, she's very much committed to the disease idea of alcoholism. Mm. Where do you stand on that? Well, I've been kind of uh, debating it. I used to think it was not. Um, When I got sober, no one talked about it as a disease at all in 75. Um, Where did you get sober? How did you get sober? Um, I got sober, well, I really stopped on my own, and then I met a guy on the beach in Hawaii who was in AA. And he sort of 12-stepped me on the beach, and I was told it was a spiritual thing coupled with a mental obsession. He didn't mention uh, that it, uh, a, that alcoholism was a disease. He didn't no, say that was, was the AA viewpoint. Not not in the 70s. I don't remember it being called that until, I mean, maybe Hawaii was behind, but not until they started sending people from the military base, and that was probably in 79 or 80. And um, so where I... Monica, I have a little bit different... I have a different slice on reality. I mean, the 12 steps have been around since the beginning of AA. Right. um, Since the the group joined together in 1935, and since the big book was reduced in 1939. Mm -hmm. And I mean... I I I I I believe that alcohol uh AA has always pushed the idea that alcoholism is a disease for good reasons and for bad. Mm-hmm. I mean the good reason was they were trying to get people to be more sympathetic and accepting that people have a drinking problem. Right. The bad the bad thing about it is maybe you've noticed in the 12 steps while you were there that powerlessness thing how how, how do you react to that idea Oh my god well I hate it now um it's really funny that I don't I don't believe in it anymore and I think that there's the reason why AA is shrinking is because a lot of people who were young and intelligent come in and they go like it's really disempowering and in a city like Los Angeles where agape you know this huge new age church are you kidding like no one no one's going to be disempowered like that is like so not well i have a different slant on reality um yeah. go ahead aa is overwhelmingly dominantly popular in the united states now what you're pointing out is that it doesn't work for millions it doesn't work for uh 90% of the of the people and in fact, you know, we have research to show that. I often refer to mm-hmm. a, a massive 43,000 person survey that called mm-hmm. NISARC. Wow. And it found that, uh, you know, uh, fewer than 10% of Americans have actually been in uh, and, su- and succeeded, have been in AA or 12 step therapy or any kind of specific alcoholism treatment. Most people, the, the biggest 
hidden fact about alcoholism in America is that most people deal with it on their own. Well, I mean, did you deal with it on your own? You said you quit on your own. That was what you said. Is that is that true? Did you quit on your own, would you say, or or not? I actually sort of had a really bad drunk. I was 17, turning 18, and I went out with a group of people after not doing this for many months, although I was drinking daily. Um, I got really drunk and embarrassed myself, and I thought I was going to be hospitalized for the pain in my stomach. And I said, you know, I got on my knees. I'm a spiritual person, and um, I just said, oh, my God, whatever, you know, I want to just not ever drink again. And I did not want to drink, and I did not ever drink again. But I ran into How old are you place. now, if you don't mind my asking? How old am I now? Yeah. I'm 54. But I sound uh, younger. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! I thought you were. I thought you were when you said you were seventeen or eighteen. You stopped drinking it. Uh, I couldn't make out the mathematics. <clears throat> uh, Monica, even by kooky clinical definitions of an alcoholic, I, I hate to tell you this: mm-hmm. you're not an alcoholic. I mean, you can call yourself. Do you call yourself an alcoholic? Well, I'm coming to the place where. Uh, I don't think it matters, and I'm, I, I don't think I, – I think I have only within people that are really close to me. I've been really private about it because people have a lot of misconceptions. And from reading your book, I, I love what you wrote, That just that statement about so many people get um, stopped drinking without um, – you know, getting any help. I ran into a musician that I worked with in my local coffee shop, and I was telling him about what I've been discovering and reading, and he actually stopped on his own last July for different reasons, and he said, you know, I just had no craving, I had no desire, and he sounded like he was right out of your book. So I'm in the process. Well, that's one thing my book's about, but another thing my book's about, and I don't want to scare anybody, but I'm, I'm unfortunately committed to telling you that you're going to have Jack Trimpey on. You'll have to tell this to Jack Trimpey. Yes. Most people who get really drunk when they're 17 or 18 don't stop drinking but stop getting drunk a lot. That's the most common thing that happens. Maybe mm-hmm. you've heard about that, that a lot of kids in high school and college do really goofy things. Yes, and then yes. they sort of get married and they get jobs and they have kids and then they become really boring and cut mm-hmm. their drinking way back. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about that? Yeah. Do you know any but, boring um, people who used to drink excessively and really excessively in high school and college and stopped? I mean, cut back and became boring? Well, I grew up in an Irish Catholic neighborhood in New York City, and a lot of my friends continued to drink. I stopped at 18, and they thought I was insane, you know, and... um I wanted them all to get sober with me, and most of them continued to drink for another 10, 15, I don't know, 20 years. A lot of them died, though. Do you think there's any relationship between your ethnic background and your attitude towards alcohol? Uh, I'm a mixture, you know, of Italian, Czech, and Australian, and French, and... Well, let's not get racial then. Let's say you lived in an Irish. I'm going to give you a quiz question. There's a right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. Two groups of people, and this was written by a man who's an AA lover. He's a man who was on the AA board. Um, They did a a research study where they actually followed people for 50 years of their lives. And there are two ethnic groups that grew up right next to each other. 
in the same neighborhood. Yeah. And in one group of people, they were of men. They were young men. They followed them first from when they were teens. So women weren't in the study. They were four times. One group was four times as likely to become an alcoholic as the other group. Mm-hmm. And yet that same group had a far, far higher abstinence rate. And this man, George Valen, said about these two groups, this is what he said, one of these groups tends to view alcohol in all or nothing terms as the ultimate in evil or the ultimate in pleasure, whereas mm-hmm. the other group saw alcohol as more of a kind of commitment to social life and it's just an ordinary part of life. Can you identify those two groups? Uh, you mean the, what culture background they are? Yeah, those two oh, cultural yeah. groups. I would say the Irish are going to be the ones that it was all or nothing. And the Jewish community, uh-huh. because my neighborhood was Irish, Catholic, and Jewish. He actually called the Mediterranean. That was mainly Italian, but it also had Greeks and Jews. So, all right. Uh-oh. We're giving you... All right. You're right. <laughs> We're giving you a hundred on that. And uh, so... You had this experience with alcohol. <clears throat> Here's right. how I'm hearing it. Right. You very early didn't drink. I'm gonna. Did you? I'm gonna guess you weren't given alcohol at home as an ordinary experience. No, I was. Um, I, we were given it at like uh, seven, and uh, you know, little. Like they brought me to a doctor because they thought I had ulcers. My stomach was bothering, emotional issues, and the doctor. Somebody said, "Well, just give her a little wine with dinner." They started giving us a little, like a tiny little glass. Um, but I had a grandmother who, you know, drank and got drunk on holidays and acted out. And my father uh, definitely had a heavy drinking problem. And um, the police were at my Monica, house. Monica, I can tell you're an interesting person. I, <laughs> I guess I don't remember a lot of people who were given prescribed wine by their doctors when they were seven because they were afraid that. They had ulcers. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I if I go through. And I've talked to a lot of people in my life. I don't know if I've heard that before. However, yeah, it sounds like you didn't have very good examples of moderate drinking in your background. You know, your right. grandmother and your father. Mm-hmm. So when you went out and drank, you drank in an excessive way, and you had the experience you described at seventeen or eighteen. What can we say? You were a kooky kid. And so you never had a chance to evolve in your relationship with alcohol. That's now, right. I, it, it's not for me to say whether that was the right thing or the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Maybe you yeah. were onto something. Maybe maybe you knew about yourself. Well, it's hard to say that anybody who's seventeen or eighteen knows this much about themselves. But you know, mm-hmm. maybe you saw the handwriting on the wall that, given your background, that wasn't going to happen for you, or. It didn't feel like it could happen right then, and you didn't want to go through the pain and misery of evolving out of it. You know, you right. to make your own decisions in life. Right. But um, the, 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 your experience that you described is very Irish-American. It's, mm-hmm. you know, alcohol, boom, that's it, I'm done. Yes. And, um and that model is one that's kind of popular in America. I mean, it's underlying AA, mm-hmm. and it's not the normal experience of human beings. Addiction Proof Your Child is about the fact that if given an opportunity, most people will outgrow addiction. <clears throat> and, this is my summary, and if you um, if you 
don't develop a capacity to moderate yourself, let's push alcohol over to one side for the time right. being. Mm-hmm. There are now so many things you're going to be exposed to, starting with, you know, not only the regular old drugs like marijuana, but now the fastest growing stuff are all the pharmaceuticals kids are exposed to, you know, Oxycontin being one. And then the overwhelming electronic stimuli people are exposed to. Addiction Proof Your Child says dealing with addiction is a fundamental human attribute and skill. It's been something that human beings have confronted and dealt with throughout history. It's now, prob- I think, more than ever, a necessary skill. It's almost as though you should think one should think about their. Do you have children? Yeah, I have a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old. How do they drink? Well, one of them was having problems, um, and this is maybe part of my drive. My father died from, you know, drinking and. Um, taking pills after stopping, and I was very sad. He died in 08. My son started, my older child, started to have problems, which kind of, I started reading about SMART, and I found you, and rational recovery, and I'm digging, and I'm going, I started to not believe what AA was, had, you know, been. I really have been in AA for all these years, and I was very active in different ways, and I was like, I think this is bullshit. Like, this is disgusting. Like, the meetings were horrible, and they were just... I don't even know go into that part, but that's another show. Uh, I mean, uh, actually, I was going to devote this show to this because uh, Women for Sobriety... I mean, the, the worst thing about AA, don't tell anybody said this, is just how goddamn boring those meetings are. That's the single worst thing about AA, but that's a whole other story. How did you introduce your twenty-year-old son? How did your How okay. did you deal with your twenty-year-old son about around alcohol? Um, so what Before, happened is that I wasn't drinking at all because I was sober in AA, right? right? And then, um, uh, Monica, so I Monica. and I read your, you know, halfway through your book, which I think is so great. I wished I would have read it, uh, like a seven, but eight years Monica, ago. Monica, let's just get our terminology right. AA has captured the word sober mm-hmm. to mean abstinent. Right. Sober means not intoxicated, Monica. And we have to recapture the vocabulary before we can be sensible. Uh, sober is the opposite of being, you know, habitually intoxicated or intoxicated at all. Sober doesn't mean, when you said you were sober, you mean you were abstinent. Right. I was abstinent and I was very like rigid and afraid that um, because I had been told like, you know, his father and I were divorced now. We had a, you know, a really difficult marriage when he was born. All the circumstances that you write in your book were there for that first child where there was a lot of fighting until I got into therapy. And then they were all like, well, both of you had a problem, so your children, you know, have 50% a chance. Uh, you know, Stanton, we, this stuff really needs to get out. Like, I'm going to buy... A pile of books and bring it to the PTA at my son's high school because this crap needs to stop and parents need to know that um, that we've been just sold a bill of goods, a bunch of lies about how we deal with our children. So my kid was now back up that the father and I got divorced. The father, after many years, began to drink, and he didn't go off the deep end. You know what I mean? He started to drink um, like after. He became kind of more or less. Normal kind of guy, I, drinking. Kind of normal. 
And um, the kids came back and they were like, Mom, why do you still go to those meetings? The other was 16-year-old and he was littler. And I, w- I was only going to one a week. And, and I'd say because it makes me feel better or I like the women. I only went to a women's meeting at that point. And, um, and so uh, I was, uh, when I got married to Kevin, my husband now, we're together 10 years. So five years ago we got married. I wanted to, ch- I said, you know, you can have champagne. I started serving you know, alcohol in my house, at my parties. I stopped being so rigid um, about the time I think Kevin and I got together because there were so many people in the industry that came that drank. I didn't want, you know, I thought I didn't care anymore. It was like, so what? Who cares? Is, like, Kevin, a, is Kevin a good drinker, a skillful drinker? Ke- Kevin is abstinent as well. He's abstinent You would too. say that you've, you've had, you've, for some reason you've run into more, um, issue drinkers than the average person, not even counting yourself. Is that a fair summary? In my well I mean, by going you've to only been married to two people and they're both they both have alcohol issues. Yeah, but in my work life and his, like we go to plenty of parties and gatherings where there's so many normal drinkers in the in the industry. Okay, good. Whether it's actors and yeah, there's like so many Mhm. Yeah. I'm it's good. It's just that you've your life has been focused around uh, problem, you know, your grandmother and your father, which you couldn't help. You know, right. you just got there, and they were dead. they had drinking problems before you got around. And then you've had two husbands with drinking issues. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, you're concerned about your son and which way he's headed. And so... You know, what do you think? Well, what what I did was I brought him, uh, you know, he got really drunk and he called us and he, we couldn't even drive the car. And this was now a few years back, like probably three years. And Kevin and I, we talked to him and we were still talking AA mumbo jumbo, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid kind of talk. And um, we, uh, I brought him to a meeting and I hadn't been to a mixed meeting in this particular place in a really long time and I looked up young people, young people, and it was not young people, it was a meeting full of predators, scary middle aged looking men, everybody's I mean, I was scared. I was like, holy shit. I am not bringing my child here. This is a disgusting vibe and oh my God, what am I gonna do? And I started to get on, and that's the beginning. And then I, you know, met this young woman who got 13 steps. And then I started, I, so I found stinking thinking. And I read all this stuff, and I started to say to my son different things. And I started to tell my husband, I think you need to look at this differently. Stop thinking of the way AA, you can't project, we cannot project our stuff onto our children. This is very damaging. I talked to my other child. And I said, I love your book. I, I mean, I love... Monica, you're my hero. I mean, it's hard when you're 50-something to reorient a mm-hmm. lifetime orientation to something by thinking it through. I admire that so much. I have a little different slant than you. Okay. I have the, se- I have the feeling, I mean, that woman for sobriety that Ken Anderson interviewed... Yeah. Don't tell anybody, but A, she was dull as dishwater, and B... Um, she said she hated AA, and then Ken didn't ask her what she hated about AA, and afterwards, I come in for the last 10 minutes, I said, well, there were two issues I was interested in that didn't get discussed. One was, why did she hate AA so much? 
because yeah. to some extent, women for sobriety sounds like it. AA, you know, disease and absence. The second thing was he didn't ask her anything about what thirteenth stepping and all that predatory behavior. Mm-hmm. Which naturally, you know, I mean, if I had to guess what she had hated about AA, I, you know, I would have explored that. You know what I mean? Right. right. And so, um, I mean, what's good about women for sobriety is, you know, they're trying to protect themselves by getting out of that whole male dominant thing. Who can be against that? Right. Uh, but they've carried over with them a lot of the same negative alcoholism attitude. So let me give you my little, little different slant on life. Monica, okay. I, I just like, I agree with and enjoy everything you've said about yourself. I don't think it's child abuse to take an 18-year-old to AA because of all the predators one finds there. I think the message, or 16, your, your son was 16 at the time, I think it's child abuse, forgive me for saying this, to take a kid to AA at the age of 16 because you're laying a trip on a kid that no human being can determine. No human being can say to somebody, you are powerless over alcohol for the rest of your life, and that person is 16. Mm-hmm. It's got, it has no chance of doing anything positive and a tremendous chance of doing something negative. I think that it is uh, absolutely horrible, and that's why I didn't really push. You know, like he went and he went to another, and then a young person I knew took him to a a better meeting. But uh, after 43 days, she said, "Uh, I don't want to do that. And I said, fine. Like, I I, I was already seeing something that I hadn't, I didn't know. But Going through it with your son gave you a whole new experience of that AA thing. Between my son and Callie, who has been doing these 13-step shows with me, um, that it was it was i think now it was a sort of a blessing because it was horrible it's so painful because i felt so like something was really wrong and then as my world cracked open and it really did stand and like i felt like i was being like punched in the chest i felt like i had been walking around with rose colored glasses what exactly about the aa experience affected you that way can you tell and, me yeah there was a, a friend who's a long time abstinent in n a who's on the board and when this young girl came to my meeting who was thirteen steps sobbing, I called him and he had told me that you know he had met Tom Powers and that bill w he told me just a lot of stuff that he had been dropping acid when he was eighteen years um abstinent and that he was a predator that he had they had to create like a squad to surround him. And that's really why AA had sort of uh, never addressed it because uh, Bill Wilson was, and that was the big falling out that he had with Tom Powers. And my friend personally went and met with him when NA was growing. And then kind of what happened from there is I found the orange papers, and I was reading the orange papers, and like my jaw was like dropping further. And I would go back to my home group meeting, and I sat in there, and I felt like I had taken out. Like I was like, oh my god! Like, what have I been doing? And did you speak up at the meetings at all? Did you interject yeah, your point of view? I did. Like, I started to because I was like coming in with my jaw dropped. Oh, and then my friend on top of that told me stories because what was revealed is that there was a woman who was molested by a longtime sober man when she was five years old by her mother's boyfriend. So I called my friend in Hawaii and told him that story, and he said, well, let me tell you another story. 
And he told me another story Uh-oh. about a woman we knew who her daughters, now 35 years old, were molested when they were five and seven because her mother, our friend... Well, let me ask you this question. What is it about people in AA? Do you feel that people in AA are unusually predatory? Is that your point of view? I think now. I think now it's worse than ever. Why Why do you feel people who are in AA are predatory? Because I, I, now there's actually the courts are sending um, criminals like sex offenders and stuff. There's part of their sentencing. Uh, is they're sending people that the average AA member... I see what you're know. saying. In other words, their only response to everything is to channel people to AA, and so you're getting a lot of people who are just riffraff and degenerates, and they're ending up at AA because that's the court of last resort, sort of. And and when I got there too, Stanton, I just want to say this, that back then you had a couple of guys who were bad 13-steppers, but we were really trying to be on a moral path. Like people who got sober, there were a lot of hippies. Everybody was spiritual. They had their own, whether they were Buddhist or whatever. That was wrong behavior. You know, like to prey on women and to screw people over. Like, And nowadays the culture in AA and even young people is bizarre. They're, that culture is not about doing the right thing and... They're all become they're acting out wild. Like they may not be drinking and using drugs, but well, in, in it, it sounds like women for sobriety would be good for you because it sounds like I mean, well, they got me. I mean, in general, women are less predatory. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I think so. Although there are cougar women, they call them cougar. There's in certain yeah. Movies. But in general, it sounds yeah. like women for sobriety is a big would be a big improvement for you because you would go there and you could at least relax. You know, you're not with aggressively criminal, psychopathic people. But the problem, but I, I don't view it quite that way. I feel that you can go through life trapped or free. I mean, that's the goal in life. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of ways to get trapped. And, you know, all of us have our own versions of traps. You know what I mean? Nobody's right. a free human being. Right. But th- there are some traps which are so encompassing that they dominate your life for years or decades. Right. And they they don't allow you to be, you know, creative. They don't allow you to have real relationships. They don't allow you to be comfortable with yourself. And to me, when that's the greatest sin of all. Right. To be to be trapped in yourself by a self-imposed trap, to come mm-hmm. up with something that traps you on your own. To me, that's a fate worse than death. Um, and so that's how I view addiction. And, you know, people get into addiction, and then sometimes people get into remedies for addiction, or they're so afraid of addiction mm-hmm. that their remedy looks just like that. Uh, and that that being, then you're trapped in a whole other way. And to my way of thinking, being trapped in any way is so bad. It's so anti-human. It's so much against our spirits that the, that's what has to be fought against. So you know, you mentioned I wrote a book called Love and Addiction in 1975, and what yeah. I was saying was uh, there's a million ways to get trapped you know, and be harmed, you know, like love relationships where you're trapped and beaten or you're not allowed to be free or you're put down. 
And, you know, that's as bad as any addiction. Uh, mm-hmm. It's as painful and as limiting. And you have to come up with a way, and that's and that in a way, Love and Addiction 1975 to Addiction Proof Your Child in 2010-ish, mm-hmm. uh, which is a total of, oh, man, that's a lot of years. Um, they're both yeah. saying the same thing. They're both saying, how do you create a free human being in the face of our fear of addiction and the many things people can become addicted or hurt by, and how are you able to learn to maneuver beyond that? Love and addiction sort of started out thinking about adults, yeah. you know, maybe mainly women in love relationships. How do how do you get free? And, and that might almost correspond with women for sobriety. But addiction proof your child sort of says, okay, let's take a look at a child, and let's ask ourselves this question. How do we uh, create a human being who can enjoy life and feel good about themselves and feel that they're able to deal with, you know, life stuff out there, mm-hmm. that they can deal with life without having to resort to an addiction or feeling overpowered by life experiences? That's the question right. that addiction Bring your child asks. Gosh, I've been motor-mouthing on, Monica, haven't I? No, but, well, I mean, I think it's fine. I, I think that a program, I don't know whether it's a program, Stan, but I actually, I, I do think America probably needs one because America loves programs, right? And they took billion dollars in the uh, uh, recovery industry that is more harm reduction or more what they call moderation um, from all these different books, all the different alternatives that are non-12-step for our young people because I, I know you must know this, but they are we have rich people, poor people, whatever. They're sending their children away to these, I want to swear, you know, to these rehabs and treatment places that are full of 12-step uh, knuckleheads who think they know better, and they're arrogant, and they're, you know, presumptuous, and they many of them have very little training, and they're sending underage minors to these programs and telling them they're And here's powerless. the thing. Here's the thing that if you if you go to a high school, and I described about being in a high school and watching these yeah, programs, I read that. Mm-hmm. you'll have a normal bunch of kids in there. You know, right. maybe some are drinking, but they're probably pretty normal. And then they, who do they bring in to lecture them? Uh, they would never bring in somebody who's like either a healthy drinker or mm-hmm. who overcame a drinking issue, maybe drank like the kids did when they were in high school, but then kind of, you know, got normal. They never would have somebody yeah. like that. They'll only bring in an AA knucklehead. And what the AA knucklehead says to people is, um, you know, you think you're pretty smart now. But, you know, I used to think I was smart. And then I became a total alcoholic, idiot, asshole, and I beat up my wife. And then they tell all the bad things that happened to them as though those are inevitable consequences of drinking and they're mm-hmm. laying that on the kids. So 90% or 95% of the kids are healthy enough to say, you know, that's just not true about me. That knucklehead's a knucklehead on his own. So fortunately, most of them ignore the guy. And right. then the best you can say about it is they don't learn anything. And there are things that could be learned. You, mean, you could say to kids, what's your attitude about drinking? Where do you feel you or your friends could go wrong? You know, you can have a real discussion. And then there's some small minority of really vulnerable kids who sort of look at that person and see themselves in that person 
they yeah. almost identify with that person, and then they become. Um, it's almost like that becomes the person becomes a hero to them, which mainly means that they're going to imitate their lifestyle one way and another. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened to me. I mean, they brought the nuns brought in a speaker from. I think one was from NA, one was from AA. I was in seventh or eighth grade, and they caught us drinking, you know, in the park across from the convent, and getting drunk and yelling out a Friday night. And they filled the auditorium, and the speakers spoke. And one guy looked like Bill W. and he scared me. I didn't know he was like kind of creepy with his hat and overcoat. I swear to God. <laughs> the other girl, you're exactly telling my story. Like she had the flowing skirt and the long curly hair, and I was like, oh yeah, I relate. You know, oh that's. She's interesting. And then down that stupid road, I went. But Stanton, I feel so like I was robbed. This is a strange thing. This last few months, I've stopped crying about it. But I was like mourning those early years of my life that I feel like A, didn't give to me. I was robbed of a real, like I was coming around with those people. And, oh, I, I needed you. I needed free. cognitive behavioral therapy. And what did You've I get? You've come to this awareness, and now you're a free person. By the way, um, I know one – I had a friend uh, who was in AA for three years. She did it up good. You know, she was a loyal aa or mm-hmm. but this is why I could be friends with her. She told me, you know, every couple meetings I would lean over to my other friend. This woman would tell me, who was at the meeting with me, and I would say, you know, we're never going to get this time back in our lives. It's sort of like she's saying, you know, I'm here at AA, I got to be here, but I know this isn't how I envision living life, you know what I mean, at this meeting. Yeah. But you've had that experience, and you've been, those AA experiences benefit your music. No. I mean, you know, there's just, I I think, I mean, I wrote a song, Don't Be Afraid, that's on my YouTube uh, things that I've I put two of them up on Friday. You're just and singing a couple a bars one. of it, Monica. What's that? Just singing a couple bars of it. Oh, there was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. Right? I mean, you know, I wrote like what. That's just what we're talking about. That's perfect. <laughs> Looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I look at me, you know, and I realize that I can't ever go back and get them back. These are not drunk years; these were beautiful sober years. And the and as as I have been pulling myself back from AA and and withdrawing slowly, I'm like weaning myself. There's a guy on the blog who calls himself Ray from New York, you know, he, that I'm weaning myself to the point that I'm going to not go to any more meetings. I'll be done Wednesday tomorrow night, my last meeting. Or oh, and, so you're you wait, hold on now, hold on now. You're still going to AA meetings? Yes, I um, I was going. Every other week to one, and I went to one. So you're on currently Friday withdrawing. To, we're, you're currently withdrawing from AA as we speak. Well, I feel like I've done it already, but I'm going to turn in my commitment of money, treasury, and I'm telling them I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> oh, you're the treasurer of your AA chapter. <laughs> you're yep. you're a responsible. I had heard a rumor. This is I just heard this around the blogosphere. That you were going to meetings and like pamphleting them and saying, you know, get out of AA. That, did I get that wrong? I, that, that... 
No, but I did oh, I did get like attacked at a meeting. I was going around with my my sexual harassment pamphlet that a lot of us, you know, a few of us wrote. And I was going and passing it out and saying, you know, if somebody's 13-stepping you, if somebody is gaslighting you, as friend the girl says, or, you know. Oh, this is what really I think pissed this woman off when I said if a sponsor is telling you to clean her bathroom for free when you're a newcomer, that is not Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's when the room went silent. And I think that this woman... Oh, you said that in an AA meeting. What? You said that... Oh, yeah. at the meeting? As I was taking my 30-year cake, you know, and I went there just to speak about this issue as sort of my last my last time. So there's 200 people there. So it would be like spreading those seeds. You know, if they're all going to talk all over West L.A. Those kids are all going to go talk to somebody about this woman, me, this, you know, calling me whatever, and my husband were there and someone else to just say, you should not be sexually harassed or financially scammed on. You know, we're not. It's just a good pamphlet, but you know what? They're going to have to take it on themselves. You think of it. <laughs> you see, um, I mean, it's good that you. Um, it's good that you identify with uh, groups, and it's good that you feel so strong. Don't you feel that way? I mean, you must admire your emotional commitment, don't you? I mean, that's what makes you a great musician, and. You feel well, things from the heart. That's good, you know, isn't it? I think that I I found a community that's I finally like these people who have left through the blog. Um, yeah. I've actually called people and asked them for phone numbers because that's what I sort of learned how to do. You know, was to reach out to people I connected with. And what I realized, Stanton, though, is it's these people who have left um that i i believe are like-minded like i'm not like-minded like the people in the meeting anymore there's a couple you know there's people that sit in there right. and they don't buy the they're not the whole, all bad right do you but find that you have could have an have you been yeah, able to share with them some of your new insights about you know that you've learned from me and smart and other things like that yes with the um, people that you're going to love it but well about Three meetings already, I've talked about SMART, and then I've had like three or four women come up and they say, what is that thing you're t- going to? What is SMART? What is... Well, you're like a fifth columnist. <laughs> now you're, um, I mean, maybe you shouldn't get out of AA. May- Here's my idea. Follow with me. Just I'm throwing this up against the wall and see if it sticks. You go to different meetings around town, and you can honestly say, I've been in AA for 30 years, and then you just get up and say, you know, I've been in AA for 30 years, but frankly, here, I'm a little dissatisfied with it. Here, let me help you with your speech. I'm dissatisfied with it because, you know, I just don't like the vibe here. I'm dissatisfied Mm -hmm. with it because I've exposed my son to it, and I'm I'm not happy about that, and I'm Mm -hmm. dissatisfied with it because I've been exploring other ways of thinking about this thing. And I think there are better ways to get free of the whole addiction experience. And I, I just came to this meeting to share. You should go around L.A. to all the AA meetings and get up and, and do a little shtick there. You know what I mean? And then you should end with that song, you know, uh, about being free. Well, and then there's the hat. No, no. Okay, you better not do that. All right. Uh, just my I have idea. to get mates, I think, and a, and a, and a what was that kind of uh, – Gun, Kevin. Uh, we're going to get a taser, so that uh, if someone else comes at me and attacks me, I'll, I'll call nine one one quickly. But 
I did think about doing that, about now casually going to different places where I'm not as well known and speaking really, really honestly, like exactly kind of what That's part of your song. Your song is about getting free. I That's am. what you I have to like, do now. I feel like, oh, I've been wasting so many years, Stanton, you know, it's just... You know, and now we've got to start, starting tomorrow, at your last AA meeting, I want you to speak totally frankly and from the heart tomorrow at the meeting. This is your first day of freedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's to hold you back? I mean, what holds you back? Are, are you? Do you feel you're still not able to be honest at a meeting? Or no, uh, they, they have already ostracized me, some of them. You know, they ostracized Callie and I when we got really honest with the 13-stepping thing. We, it was really a huge, uh, I mean, we made really big milestones, but uh, even though they smiled at us, the, you know, you could feel the, the chill from some of them and the judgment, you know. They're so judgmental, some of them. I mean, they are like the most judgmental group of people I have ever met in my life. What's your husband say about all this? Is he following along with you, or does he now he he does, he abstains because he had a drinking problem, or what's his? What's yeah, his? he he's also you know had a problem, and so he's abstinent too. He's listening on. He doesn't have his hand raised in the queue, but he can hear what I'm saying. You want to talk? <laughs> well, there's um, a. uh Ilsa told me that there's a guy on um, stinking thinking that's been really ragging me out for the last three days nonstop and that um she told him to call in. She told Ilsa told me to be prepared that the guy's gonna really call in and work me over. You know Oh no he didn't, he didn't call in. Um you know what I noticed? I did not even check the um Oh my God, so I I'm so sorry. Here's I was not looking at I'm sorry guys, you know how there's a chat room? I'm so like uh there's a chat room, and there's been a lot of people in here. So let's see, um, what is gaslighting? Oh, they're just—they were talking. I'm so sorry. I'm just talking to the people who. What is gaslighting? I don't even know what the hell gaslighting is. Gaslighting is. Uh, where is, is? I wonder if um, friend the girl. Gaslighting is, you know, telling people like uh, like. And a good example is there was a guy who borrowed a lot of money from a lot of people, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here. The people in the chat room that he borrowed like over $250,000 from a bunch of people and he has 35 years of sobriety. And one guy came back to him and said, I want my money back. And he looked at me and said, you need to go write about that. So it's using the program. It's twisting words and phrases and manipulating. People think they have power because, oh, God, Stanton, it's more problem. Well, here's like- my view on that. I think AA... You come in there and they tell you you're powerless. Mm-hmm. So you're forming a relationship with a group where you've been, from the start, made to feel small. It's set up. I think that AA is inherently uh, fascist. It tells you you're small, you're nothing. The experienced people there, they know all. They need to control you. I think the vibration is set up from the start. I mean, what group makes you get up and say, I am powerless? I mean, how about starting out and saying, you know, we realize you're here because you've got some problems in life, but we'd like to know about some positives about you. Tell us about the good things. I mean, that's just another slant on life. And in general, human beings, especially kids, but everybody, feels better if they talk about what's good about them. Now, here's my theory. 
I don't think people change best when they're told they're powerless. I don't think people change best when all of their negative attributes are ticked off. Right. And everybody sort of really knows that because that's not how people deal with kids. When you right. have a kid, you don't say, listen, buddy, you're 16, you're a schmuck. You're doing everything wrong. You're really a waste. You say, you know, there's a lot of things I really like about you. You're really good at whatever, music or writing, or you get along well with people. There's so many promising things about your life, and I'm really worried that maybe you're going to get sidetracked from them, and I want you to really focus on and emphasize the positives. I believe in you. Why is it that the th and and the more we take kids and put them in the AA context, what we're doing mm -hmm. is we're getting away from what we know is the best and the healthiest way to raise human beings to the worst and most obnoxious and most fascist and the most depressing way of raising them. I agree, and I, I started to create a new program. Like I wrote, I rewrote like, you know, I am you are empowered by if yourself, like if you're not, you know, um, religious, you know, and if you were, my, mine would include, you know, that you speak to your Buddha or your, you know, uh, you know, whoever, whatever, that it was much more inclusive if you were Native American. But the first step would be all you have to do is say, I have a problem and I want help and I want to change. And then everything else that you do after that um, would be empowering. And I see, I think we're at a place that something else new. I mean, I love SMART, I've gone there. And um, but uh, you know there's uh, women for sobriety I haven't gone to but I actually think there's room for something else like something need, needs to be created for teens for under 18 that's totally empowering and if you look at these books that get you know sell millions and millions of copies and why they they you know they buy uh, I can't think of the top, you know off the top of my head but they make them into movies and even. AA people are like running to agape because they're tired of being told they're powerless. They're tired of being told they're pieces of shit and that your best thinking gets you here and what do you know and you're just do this. And the kind of punitive way that people who are sponsors talk to grown men is if, if it were if it were really if I made a movie and dramatized or made a comedy about how people really some treat men grown men in AA. People in the theater would have, they would all have their jaws dropped going, you have to be fucking kidding me. And I'm going to say, no, I'm not kidding you. This is going on in the biggest, one of the biggest cities in the United States, Los Angeles. Well, you but know, he, I've got bad news for you. They made a what? movie like that, and they won an Academy Award, and people loved it. You remember Scared Straight, where they took kids in, and they had, like, lifers scream at them and say, oh, you little punk, I'll mush you into... Yeah, it's a terrible movie. I, they, walked, I walked out of that. I thought that was horrible. And people loved it, you know, and they won an Academy Award, and mm. Peter Falk was given, you know, narrated it, and uh, everybody. What what sick-mind human being feels that the – and that's a, 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 a mini version of the same logic. What sick-mind feels the best way to make a person a happy, positive person is to abuse them? I mean, that's what it is. It's child abuse. Yeah, and yet, I, people stood up and cheered. And what, let me ask you a question 70s, now. Right? Wasn't it like 70? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, you're, you think things yeah. are different now? Don't you? I mean, you I feel think they're that different I'm, now. I am, I am, it's a big fight. Like, what I want to do is I want to make a law that no, no one will ever uh, be sentenced 
to be forced to attend a 12-step program and that no minor will be allowed in a meeting, that they will have That's to. That's a great law. They actually already have that law in California that nobody can be forced into an AA meeting. It was based on a, on a, a legal decision in the Ninth Circuit. It's violated every second of every day around the country. Mm-hmm. But uh, Buddhists got out of prison. They said, well, for parole, you've got to go to AA meetings and – he said, you know, I don't like them. They don't work for me. It's not my mm-hmm. life. And they forced him to go, of course. And then he sued the whole Hawaii, back to Hawaii, yeah. uh, parole system, and he won. And they made the guy who forced him into it personally liable. How, so they already have that law. The problem isn't so much the law as getting people to know about the law and spreading these ideas. Monica, you're a a person who's had some ups and downs in life. Is that a fair summary? Yes, yes. But you're so spirited. You're so energetic. You're so (laughs) looking for, for new ways not only to approach life but to spread ideas. You're uh, you're a miracle. Uh, you're like Miracle Grow. That thing, uh, whatever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're a you're a marvel that you can be so energetic and so exercised against all these negative things, and that you're generating so many ideas that you want to do now and be positive. You're a lucky person because sometimes when people get you know in the latter part of their life. They lose a goal or they lose energy because they don't feel there's anything new for them. You've just opened up like a flower, and you're just seeing a million different ways you want to go because you've got a whole new vision. You're the luckiest person alive, and you don't have Lou Gehrig's disease. You know, he said he was the luckiest guy alive, and he was dying. I mean, you're alive, and you've got this feeling. You know what? That's oh, that's great. I really, really appreciate what you're saying, Um you know, I I want to thank you so much because really your book has so helped me to deal with my son currently. Like even, you know, just a month ago when I got the addiction proof, your child, and I talked to Kevin and I said, you know, I want you to just read the paragraphs I've underlined. You don't need to read the whole book, but there's just so many, there were just things that... Um, what was that you have the of, book right there? Do you have the book in front of you? I do, and I'm trying to find a paragraph that's so helpful. Read one me. paragraph that you underlined. You know, it'll be like a bedtime story. You know, for God's sake, it's almost 10 o'clock out here in the East Coast. <laughs> I was already at my uh, my older daughter got her master's degree at NYU today, and we went to the Beacon Theater. Wow. It was overwhelmingly crowded. I said, oh, man, it was like being in... Fortunately, my daughter got announced early, and we snuck out, and then we went to uh, Ollie's for Chinese noodles. Oh, Me, no. my ex-wife, and my two daughters, and my other daughter's boyfriend. An odd crew, I admit, but... Hey, listen, we have four minutes pa- left. I want to. Can I read this paragraph? Because this yes, is anyone who has kids. So it says, demand children be responsible. Expect children to follow through on their promises and obligations to complete scheduled projects, fulfill what is asked of them in your home and school, work seriously at jobs, take care of themselves and their siblings and their property. Likewise, you must hold your children accountable for by owning up to and making good on any harm they do to others and to society. And my 16-year-old, who has no problem, 
will do what he says. He comes over and he cleans the bathrooms. And when he says he's going to do it and walks the dog. And you could, I could see, I just, you know, for anybody out there, addiction-proof your child. We have four minutes. I'm so glad um, you read that paragraph because people might think, oh, Stanton Peel, Mr. Permissive. Oh, take drugs. Oh, drink. You can only have a controlled and disciplined life if you if you can only deal with addictive possibilities if you're a, a disciplined, purposeful, directed person who's able to manage. If you can't manage yourself mm-hmm. and follow through in your obligations, you're going to run into problems. And you know, you, whether you drink or not, you're going to find a problem. Monica, this has been the most fun I've ever had in my life, including the musical interlude. It's just oh my God. what a great show. Oh, great. Can I, will you come back again? Because we have to formulate some kind of plan for teens. This is, you know, moderate. I do. I want you to develop that damn program, and the next time we're going to get on and present the program, I want you to get down to fast tax and hammer out that program you're talking about. <laughs> okay. All right, All right Monica, I'll, I'll let, let you go. Okay. So you can sing your, you can sing us out, of, uh, you know, or whatever you do at the end of your program. What a great program you have. What a great human being you are, Monica. I want you to lead the way in California. All right. Thanks, Stanton. We'll talk again. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 All right. So we have another person out here. Out here. C. Would you like to be? Hello. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. You're on the air. Hello. Let's see. Where'd you go? Hello. Okay, so no caller left. It looks like there's a lot of people out there. I want to thank you so much for uh, two minutes remaining on the show tonight. And um, Mike Blame Denial. Uh, thank you for coming. I love your videos. Keep making them. And I see Amy Lee Coy. Hi there. Wendy, hi to everybody out there. Uh, I am Monica, and I'm your host. And tonight we had Stanton Peel uh, on, who's written seven or eight books, The Truth About Addiction and Recovery, Addiction Proof Your Child, The Seven Tools to Beat Addiction, and, wow, I just feel so, you know, invigorated and so good. I feel like I had, like, a therapy session. <laughs> I swear, I feel like I had a session uh, with someone who just helped me so much. This radio blog has given me a platform to speak my mind, to speak the truth after 36 years of sobriety uh, that uh, I feel like I really had to move on. I want to thank Stinkin' Thinkin' and Orange Papers for all the truth that they put out there. Um, thanks for joining me on Recovery. Remember to speak up and speak out. Our slogan is empowerment, not powerless. Good night, and we'll see you next week. Okay, bye-bye.